Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 13, verse 18. And so they went through the desert and it was tough. And they did a whole lot of whining and God put up with them. And the word for the phrase put up is a single Greek word and it means to put up with somebody's habits or endure their character. And in 2014, some of you are going to need to put up with other people. And you're like, that's right. Because there's a lot of difficult people around. And i got to put up with them. And I've got news for you. They're putting up with you, too. We always do this when we hear stuff like that. Yeah, you see, i got to put up. Well, they're putting up with you, too. So this is for you, too. It's okay. You can receive it. Anyway, so he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he, God, destroyed seven nations, Deuteronomy 7.1 is a good reference there, in the land of Canaan, 19, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. Now remember, Paul's in the synagogue preaching, and he sums up kind of the history of his people. They were in Egypt for 400 years. They wandered in the wilderness for how many? 40 years. It took them about 10 to conquer the part of the land of Canaan that they did conquer. That's about 450 years. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet, 21. And then they asked for a king. That was a mistake. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. Now, the guy delivering the message was named Saul. And then he changed his name to Paul or his Roman name he took on. And he knew a little bit about Saul's history. The people asked for a king and Samuel, the prophet, got upset And he went to the Lord, and the Lord said, why are you angry? They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me from being king over them. Go ahead and give them what they want. And sometimes when we get what we want, it's definitely not the best thing for us. And Saul was a poor leader. And the reason he was a poor leader is he acted a lot in his flesh, and he always tried to do things really without being in the center of the will of God, or he became impatient. And at the end of Saul's life, he said these words. He said, I have erred exceedingly and played the fool. You don't want to come to the end of your life and say, I've been very foolish and made a bunch of mistakes. Now, Paul, who's preaching the message, started his life like that, obviously, but then he was transformed. And he says, after he, God, verse 22, removed him, that is Saul, the first king, he raised up David. Notice this is all God's activity. God removed, God raised up. Psalm 75, 7 says, God is the judge. He puts down one and he exalts another. God is on the throne. And he raised up David to be their king. Concerning whom, that is concerning David, he also testified. God's testimony of David is this. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Now, if you want to know what a man after God's own heart is about, if you want to be a woman after God's own heart in 2014, a person after God's own heart is somebody who does how much? All his will. It's said of an elder in the New Testament that an elder is not to be self-willed. He is to be God-willed. I have a question. When the Bible conflicts with something you want to do, 
Do you obey the Bible or do you say, oh, that kind of cramps my lifestyle, so I'm going to ignore that. That doesn't really apply to me. The reason that David was a man after God's own heart is he would be a man who would do all of God's will. Do you want to do that? I don't think the world has yet seen a man who will do all of God's will or a woman who will do all of God's will. God is looking for leaders. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Does that stir your soul like it stirs mine? God's eyes look around the world to find a man or a woman whose heart is completely his. And he is ready to strongly support that person. Do you want to be that person? Do you want to be a leader in God's church? You can. Now David was the ideal king in many ways, but of course he wasn't a perfect king. There's only going to be one of those. His name is Jesus. He's the greater David. Look at verse 23. From the offspring of this man, that is David, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a savior. That's Jesus. And after John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing or finishing his course, uh, the New King James says finishing his course, NIV says finishing his work, and that's what we want to do. He kept saying, John the Baptist kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, I'm not the Messiah, but behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Now, in your own lifetime, as Paul preaches to the synagogue, he says, a man came. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And what did John preach? Get ready. Messiah is coming. Make his path straight. And he was baptizing people in preparation. Get ready. He's coming. Get ready. He's coming. And he looked up one day and behold... The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world came to him. When he realized who he was, he said, I'm not even worthy to untie your shoes. And you want me to baptize you? Can you imagine being John the Baptist? Can you imagine being standing in that water and knowing that you were staring into the eyes of God in human flesh? And God says to you, baptize me. What? You need to dunk me. More than once, I know how I am. I'm not worthy even to go down and gurgle in this water and untie your sandals. And that was something that not even a master-disciple relationship, not even would he ask his disciple to do that low of a job. And Jesus said, so you too. When you've done all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. I think one day we're going to end up in heaven we're going to say words like this. I wish I would have done more. I was at the bedside of a dying brother. He had a slow-growing cancer and wonderful man. He was an engineer, had, the, had an engineer's mind, and he would come to a, all of our Bible studies, and he always had these interesting questions. Out of left field, you'd, you're like, wow. And so the, the cancer finally caught up to him, and he had one of those masks on his face, and I had heard from some of the people in the church that he was going through some doubts about his soul and where he was going. And, and I knew that he knew the Lord, but you know we all need assurance, especially at a time like that. So I came into the hospital room 
and he could barely talk. And I said, Richard, you know that it's your time and you're going to go home to be with the Lord. And he shook his head. And I had played a lot of golf with him and got, gotten to know him pretty well. And I said, I heard you had some doubts. I said, have you trusted in Christ? Believed on him? Yes, yes, yes. I said, then you're a Christian. We're saved by grace. And he took that little mask off his face and he got these words out. He said, Michael, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have done more. And I think each one of us need to look at our lives and say, you know what, I want to finish my course. The race that's been marked out for me, the good works that God's prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. That's what I want to do. I'm not going to do it perfectly. I may not even be as consistent as I want to be. But John finished his course. Look at verse 26. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, those among you who fear God, to us the word or the message of the salvation is sent out. Jesus is the message. He is God's word to us. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, 27, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. Psalm 69.4 says, Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. And Paul says people listen to the Bible week in and week out. They came to the Sabbath synagogue service. They listened, they listened, they listened. And then when the word became flesh and dwelt among them and the fulfillment of the prophecies arrived, they rejected him. They said, oh, no, that's just stuff we listen to in church. And Jesus said, you can read the weather, you can look at the sky and see that it's red, and you can say a storm's coming, but you don't understand the signs of the times. I'm here. I'm standing in front of you. You read the scriptures, but you don't believe them, because if you believe them, you'd believe me, for Moses wrote of me. Amen? But they wouldn't believe. And so they asked for Barabbas, and they hated Jesus without a cause, and when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, 29, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. That was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 9, that he'd be in a rich man's tomb or with a rich man at his death. Jeremiah 1, 12 says, Then the Lord said to me, You've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Jeremiah 1, verse 12, God's word will be fulfilled. And unwittingly, they fulfilled it because they got him crucified and, and God used it all and God raised him from the dead. That, see, this is the gospel. The end of the story is not the cross. We have the resurrection. And for many days, Jesus appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. The very ones are, who are now his witnesses to the people. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be what? My witnesses, and in Acts 1 verse 3, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days with many convincing proofs, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he sent them out to be witnesses to that generation. And they did go out to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Over 500 people saw Jesus at one time, saw the resurrected Lord, and believed. See, this is the evidence of the resurrection. And we preach to you, verse 32, 
the good news of the promise. That's the title of today's message. Proclaiming the good news of the promise made to the fathers, prophesied in the Old Testament, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. I don't know if that was the Torah portion of the day, but that's what Paul begins to preach from. Go to your right, go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. So let's look at another place where Psalm 2 is quoted. And what we just read was Psalm 2 verse 7 about thou art my son. So look at Hebrews 1, look at verse 3 with me. This is speaking of the glory of Jesus compared to everything else, angels, etc. Hebrews 1 verse 3. It says, and he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his nature. And he, that's Jesus, upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much better than the angels, Hebrews 1.4, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he, God the Father, ever say, Thou art my son? The answer to that question is none. God never said to an angel, You are my son. Our Jehovah's Witness friends believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel, the first and greatest creation of God, but that's not what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Jesus is God. Now notice what it says. Today I have begotten thee, and again I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. If Jesus is an angel, why are all the other angels worshiping him? Angels don't receive worship. Only God does. And God the Father is commanding all the angels to do what? Worship Jesus. And if Jesus is not God, why would God break his own law? Because he says in the first commandment, you shall have what? No other gods before me. And you shall not make, down, make an idol to bow down and worship it. So God the Father is commanding worship. Jesus must be God because God the Father wouldn't ask anybody to worship anybody other than God. I will not give my glory to another so this is an important passage. Now notice what it says. And of the angels, in contrast to the sun, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, God the Father says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God... Thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy companions. Brothers and sisters, God the Father in Hebrews 1.8 is calling God the Son, God. And you may be a little bit confused about that, but let me just share with you, just write in your Bible, Trinity. There's your Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is calling God the Son, God, telling angels to worship him. And in the context, the subject is still Jesus. Look at verse 10. And thou, Lord, in the beginning did lay the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the works of thy hands. That's Jesus. He made all things. They will perish, 
but thou remainest. They all will become old as a garment, and as a mantle thou will roll them up. One day we're going to have new heavens and a new earth. As a garment, they will also be changed. But you are the same. Right in your margin, Hebrews 13.8, which says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's who we're dealing with right here. And he says, And thy years will not come to an end, because Jesus is eternal. But to which of the angels, notice it's still about the Son, has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Do you see it, brothers and sisters? Jesus Christ is God. He's creator, sustainer of the universe, the exact representation of God. He is God, if you like rhymes, God in a bod. Okay, you can use that. God in a bod. He is God in human flesh, dwelling among us. Christmas in the manger is God. And that is the message we share with the world. And so Paul stands up in the synagogue, back to the book of Acts, and he's sharing it. And he's telling the people, look, this is the good news. This is the very message I rejected, Paul might say, but I have come to understand that he is the hope of the world. Look at Acts 13, verse 34. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. See, Jesus Christ, it didn't end on the cross. He rose again from the tomb. And because of that, the holy and sure blessings of David will come. Come to who? Go to Isaiah 55. This is where the quote comes from. This is the last parallel passage we'll look at. But turn to Isaiah 55. And let's begin at verse 1. Isaiah 55, verse 1. It says, ho, everyone who thirsts. This is a Christmas verse, by the way. It starts off with ho. Anyway, all right. You guys, I don't know what it is. Second service loved all these jokes. and uh, I don't know. Was there a coffee out there at the donut thing? Anyway, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, verse 2, and your wages for what do not, does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance, Isaiah 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according, here's the quote from Paul, according to the faithful mercies shown to David. And behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know. Now we begin to see an introduction to the Gentiles, non-Jews, non-Jewish people. And a nation which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's important for our message. And then God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. 
Now, in context, a verse that we often quote and we apply to other uh, situations about God being higher than us is actually in the setting of salvation to the Gentiles. And God's saying, I'm going to give the sure and holy blessings of David to non-Jewish people because my ways are not your ways. Because a Jewish person reading this might say, who's this other nation who's going to come in? The Gentiles have no place in this covenant of blessings with Abraham and David. And God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. The Gentiles are coming in because I want the ends of the earth to be saved. Now look at verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it barren sprout, furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. That's why I hope you're here with an open Bible today. Because the word of God will accomplish the purpose of God. And God says, my word, when it goes out, it'll be like rain and snow that hits the ground and brings new growth. And if you want, in 2014, back to Acts 13, new growth in your life, get familiar with the word of God. Things will begin to blossom and bud in your life, which you may not have known before as you dive in to the word of God. It will make your life grow. In many ways that you might not have known before. Now, therefore, he also says in another psalm, Acts 13:35, Thou will not allow thy holy one to undergo decay. That's from Psalm 16, verse 10. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, that is, he died, verse 36, and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. We know where David's tomb is today. But he, by contrast, Jesus, whom God raised, did not undergo decay. You might wonder what happened in the tomb of Jesus. His body did not undergo decay because he came forth in life in that same body. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, as Paul preaches to the synagogue, that through Jesus, through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You can be forgiven of every sin you have ever committed. How do you get forgiven? There are so many people walking around in our world guilty, trying to deal with the guilt. You know how you get forgiven? You trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed through the gospel. This is the promise. And through him, through Jesus, 39, everyone who believes is freed. The word freed there in your Bible, you might want to write it down, literally is justified. The Greek word means to be declared righteous. Now you've seen a court case before. The person maybe is on a capital trial. Uh, Their life is on the line and the verdict is going to determine everything. And so you have the jury and you have the judge and you have the attorneys and all the evidence comes in and then a little slip of paper is handed you know, from the leader of the jury to the bailiff to the judge. And the judge opens it and then he gives it back and it's going to be read. And have you watched the trial when the verdict comes down? Not 
guilty, that person goes, because their whole life is determined, being determined by that verdict. Might spend their life in prison. It might be a death sentence. This word, you could render this word not guilty. You and I, one day, if we are in Christ, will stand before the judge of the universe and he will declare, this is the Greek word, if you know Christ, not guilty. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you believe it? If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. He wants you to have full life right now. But you must have a moment where you decide. You're not guaranteed a deathbed experience. Maybe you've been putting it off. Maybe lately you feel like you've been surrounded by Christians everywhere. Christians, right? Sharing their faith, telling you should come to church. Well, you know, this maybe this is the, the end of that or for you a beginning to trust in Christ today. Do it now. He'll give you eternal life. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll be born again to a living hope. He'll he'll reveal his plan for your life in Christ. And you can know that when you die, you, you will go to heaven, but you will also serve him throughout the eons of time and enjoy his millennial reign, which is his thousand-year reign. You'll be resurrected to life. I mean, folks, this is... This is life and death stuff. That we're not messing around here. Uh, Jesus Christ is the one who gives life. And if you have the Son, you have the life. And if you don't have the Son of God, you do not have the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to God. Not just a good moral teacher. Not merely a prophet. Oh, much more. He is all of that. He is a great moral teacher. He is a prophet. He is the king. And he is the way. He is God. And he came down and bore our sin on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, we are healed. You know, we've all gone astray. Every one of us. We've all sinned against God. But if you want to find forgiveness and new life in Christ, you want to start over? You want to start fresh? Open your heart right now. It's something like this. You don't have to have perfect words, but it's something like this. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I turn my life over to you. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead to save me. I want to be your follower. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I repent. I'm going to stop doing it my way and I'm going to do it your way. I want to follow you as my King and my Lord. If you've opened your heart, we want to welcome you to the family of God. We want to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Reach out to us. Let us know what you did. Let us know that you're listening. Send us a message through our website, livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. On behalf of Oscar Santa Cruz, this is Pastor Michael with help from Wyatt Ayers today. Thank you, Wyatt. God bless you guys, and we'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio.